Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. Last week, uh, we had Easter and really enjoyed celebrating with you. And now this week, we move into kind of the post-Easter conversation, because according to like a liturgical calendar, it's technically still uh, Easter. We go through Lent, and there's a few weeks of that. And basically, we start reading passages that circle around the disciples and what their process of looking at like what it was like to engage with Jesus, have the resurrection, see him disappear, and now to deal with it and go like, what do we do with life after the resurrection? How do we begin to live this out? And one of the things that we see is this beautiful process of doubt, all right? Um, doubt is one of those things. I labeled this the doubt process because I think that sums up really what I'm going to talk about before I read this passage. Um, that sometimes we think that the early church and the early disciples just saw Jesus, hung out with him, and instantly had faith that just kind of transformed life and, and that they were just obedient in everything that they did. Not true. Okay, maybe this is something new to you, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's something you're just totally aware of. But um, I think sometimes the, sh- the church will shape the language around just have faith, trust, and there's no doubt um, that you just trust Jesus and everything's good. Um, but really, there's a process. I believe there's a process that we go through. And we're going to look at Peter's life because Peter really shows us what that process looks like. There's a process of learning that um, we're all being shaped in some way. Uh, we've all been shaped by a culture. We've been shaped by our family lives, right? Our parents. Uh, maybe we've been shaped by our friends. They say, like, you're the result of your five closest friends that you hang out with on a regular basis, right? Um, it could be good or bad. I don't know. Um, the, uh, and so we, we're all shaped in different ways. And now when we begin to encounter Christ, and maybe this is something new to you, um, that's shifting life. It's shifting the way that we engage faith. And so um, I want to read this, this sermon in a, in a way uh, that Peter throws out here. It's um, at Pentecost, and he's standing in front of uh, the disciples and a crowd of people. And here's what he says. Verse 14, it starts out, and we're going to jump to 22. So then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. So here he's just kind of like, this is what I've discovered. And he starts just laying into everything that he's discovered about Jesus, okay? He goes, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So people in that audience had probably seen Jesus and encountered healings, encountered just amazing, miraculous things, places where he loved people, where he washed disciples' feet. He did things that most rabbis would not do, right? And so he's like, you've seen all this. You've seen the the example of what it looked like. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of the wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. So this is kind of like the process of like, 
us looking back on Easter and everything that we talked about there. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It's the kind of power he has. So David said this about him. And he goes and references something that uh, most people in that Jewish culture would have been familiar with and understood because they understood King David as like a hero. Um, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And he goes on, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently. That's a, like a, a word to underline there. Because, and it's kind of a funny thing to read because Peter, prior to this, was never confident, right? One of the things that he's known for is denying Jesus three times. So now we see, and he goes, friends, I can confidently tell you that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is there, and you can go check it out. Basically, like, there's nothing truly amazing. He was just a man after God's heart. Um, But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing that was to come, he spoke to the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. This is the key line. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. So the fact that Peter got to witness the resurrection of Jesus, that he got to see him um, in that process of, like, first off, denying him, and then seeing him go to the cross, die, and then three days be thrown into a tomb. So, like, during those days, that was, like, guaranteed, dead. There's no way you come back. And then for him to see him afterwards and have conversation with him on a shoreline where he sat with him, sat with Jesus, and Jesus reinstated him and said, I know you, you bailed on me, you denied me three times, I, I knew you would do that, but will you follow me? <clears throat> so there's this process that happens, right? And we see him here now declaring it like confidently, just like, I am all about this because now I've been through this journey, this process of doubt, of not, of confusion, of denying it, and now going, you know what? This is real, right? And so to see this document, to see these writings, to begin to see the journey, um, I think if you're going to make this stuff up, you'd probably lie about it and be like, yeah, see, Peter just followed Jesus and was faithful from the beginning all the way to the end. But we see a process of denial of like, I don't know. Like, they're scratching their heads about this whole thing. Like, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. Like, he's, he's making some bold claims to be God and all kinds of stuff. And for them to go through that process had to have been um, a challenge. And so I, I share this because I want to set the stage for doubt, that it's okay to doubt. And I hope I can, like, give us a picture of that through our time this morning. It's only been, like, 20 minutes, and I just want to, like, give you guys, like, an overview on doubt and what that looks like in Scripture, using Peter's life, and then a few other examples. Um, one of the things that culturally we face is that doubt is either, um, that it's, it's either all or nothing. You can't be somewhere in the middle, right? And uh, an interesting quote that I read from Dallas Willard, um, who's uh, he's a philosophy professor at USC, uh, really known for his writings on like Christian formation, um, spiritual formation, 
Um, but this is a guy who's wrestled with scripture and philosophy and really chewed on it and said that this is kind of like what happens in our culture. He says, we live in a culture that has for centuries now cultivated the idea that the skeptical person is always smarter than the one who believes. You can almost be as stupid as a cabbage as long as you doubt. So nuance here. He's saying that like there's kind of an excuse just to be like, I don't really want to engage in conversations about faith and about kind of spirituality or even like kind of these things that we don't have like solid scientific proof of yet. Um, and what he says is basically it's kind of like a trend just to say, well, I'm just going to write it off. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a second. But I hope that I can convince you that engaging in this process, in this dialogue, in this conversation of faith is what God desires. That he's not like, I'm just going to zap you into belief. Like, I want you to engage in this. I want you to think about it. And I think that anybody who really wants to think about something and process something, you're going to have to spend some time wrestling. You don't just come to a conclusion immediately, right? There's a process that happens. And that's what I hope we can begin to see um, and I can convince us of here. So um, doubt comes from this word uh, dubiter, meaning two, meaning having two thoughts, two minds, okay? And this idea of two minds, um, the kind of the analogy would be that if you're having a tug of war with like faith and not faith, you're wrestling with it. And so you have two minds. You're kind of thinking of the old way of however you've been raised, however you've been taught, whatever you learned in school, uh, whatever you've read, you're wrestling with that and you're wrestling with like faith in what God is presenting to you, right? So there has to be a tug of war. And I want to show you this little video that begins to illustrate it and does it really concise so you can kind of get a visual of what I'm talking about and get some framework for this language, okay? So let's check this out. If you've ever struggled with doubts in your faith, you know how this feels. Doubt is a mental, emotional, and spiritual tug of war. But it's not a battle between belief and doubt. It's between believing and not believing. And doubt is actually the rope. All of our misgivings, questions, and apprehensions about faith create tension between belief and unbelief. Now, a lot of Christians would advise you to completely ignore that tension and just have faith. But to not engage with our doubts and questions is like not pulling a rope during a tug of war. Other people would try and convince you that if you have any doubts at all, then you can't be a real believer. Assuming this is true, many have hopped over to the other side of the rope and started pulling towards unbelief because they feel that there's no room for questions or doubts in the Christian faith. A third option is to give full voice to your doubts, to engage with your concerns, to ask your questions, to grab onto the rope and pull. This is under the rope and pull, that there's an engaging process that happens. So does that give kind of a picture to what I'm talking about? Does that help a little bit? Um, and I think the church has done a really poor job of handling this conversation for a long time, at least from my experience growing up that it was like either you just believe and just take it on faith or not at all and you're either in or out. I think there's process. And we see that in Peter's life. We see that there's a process. 
So what doubt really is, is this process of engaging God. That should be like priority number one, engaging with God, right? Handling the conversations. The same way that now that I have girls, like they have questions. And if I just constantly told them, like, just understand that like you just do this because I said so, then they'd be like, well, why? And I start to engage in a conversation. They start to understand and knowledge starts to grow. Then they go, okay, now they understand why and they're starting to learn in that process. So there has to be a conversation, right? There has to be a process where we don't just, uh, just give up, whatever. I want nothing to do with that. I know what that, whatever side, if you want to make it, I know what that side believes, the faithful, the, the Christians, whatever it is. I know what they believe, so I'm done and I'm just giving up. But what God invites us to is this conversation of like, you don't need to buy all of it immediately. You need to be in a conversation and a process and begin to see there is something really beautiful about it. And in that same book that he references, um, it's Oz Guinness, um, says doubt comes from the word meaning two. So we talked about that, having the two perspectives, your old perspective and maybe starting to understand the belief. Um, there's that process. And he points out that um, Unbelief refers to a willful refusal to believe or a deliberate decision to disobey God. So if unbelief is just saying, like, I just don't want to engage. I don't really care. Like, I don't like what God has to say, and so I don't want anything to, to do with it, which you can. That's, that's fair game. Um, but he says, when we doubt, we begin to have this indecisive ambivalent, uh, ambivalence about an issue. We haven't come down squarely on the side of disbelief or belief, we're simply stuck over some questions or concerns. And this should be encouraging because you can sigh just a, a sigh of relief just knowing that God is willing to engage in that conversation, that you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all the answers. Um, but we have to begin to engage in that process and begin to just say, oh, there's a God who loves us. Let me start that conversation and begin to see what that begins to look like by wrestling with it. And Peter did that. He went through that process. Um, just to give you a background on Peter's life, if just to kind of remind us of really where he came from and the process that he went through, um, there's a point where when Jesus calls Peter to follow him, he bails everything, follows him, and there's a point where he actually even like sees Jesus walking on the water and steps out of a boat in faith and says, I want to do whatever you're doing. If you can do these amazing things, I'll do it. And steps out on the water and begins to sink because of his doubts. But then he goes, you know what? Like, I need to have faith and trust that what's going on is good, and then begins to walk on water. Um, he witnessed miracles that Jesus performed. Um, he made bold claims about his faith. He said things that he ne didn't necessarily believe at times. Um, in John 6, it says, After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him because Jesus said some stuff that they were like, that's tough. I don't know if I can surrender my full life to that. And so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And here's what Peter says. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the one and holy God. So even Peter, in that process of seeing crazy stuff happen, is like, I don't fully get it, but you're doing some crazy stuff that I'm just going to, I want to, I have enough that I can keep journeying with you in, right? And then made these bold claims of like, you are the son of God. Like, so Peter in that process really wrestled with it and had problems, right? So um, a couple other stats that I just threw in the notes there. 
Jesus rebuked Peter more than any other disciple. He had to call him out over and over and over. Peter was the only disciple who dared to rebuke Jesus. Peter's the only one that went back to Jesus and was like, yeah, that's wrong. You can't say that, Jesus. And Jesus was like, okay, we'll talk about that, you know? And like has these moments. It's pretty funny to like watch Peter's life. But Peter confessed Jesus more boldly and accurately than any other disciple. So you got this like dichotomy going on, right? Peter denied Jesus more forcefully and publicly than any other disciple. He was more bold about denying who Jesus was and also claiming who he was. Jesus praised Peter more than any other disciple as well. Isn't this crazy? You have this like tug of war, this, this rope pull that's constantly going back and forth of like, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm out, and I, don't, I don't fully get it, but yes, I'm in, you know, like there's a journey and there's a process. And so what we see in the life of Peter is this, this continual tug of war that it, you can't just put labels on that, right? It's a process, and it's individual process, right? Other disciples did it differently. Some came to faith faster and more, more willing to trust in certain areas than others, and others it took a really long time. But we see where Peter ended up is he becomes kind of the, like, the staple, like one of the, the leaders of the early church that began to proclaim what we just read, the gospel in beautiful and powerful ways where he got to share his testimony and say, I played tug of war with Jesus and I've discovered what is true and what is good. And I want to share this with you so that you can discover this as well. And so he just really engages in this process in a beautiful way. And, um, and it's inspiring to watch that and go, you know what? There's times I doubt. There's times, there's things that I wrestle with that I'm like, I don't know how to handle this. But I know that God still works with us in that process, and it's beautiful. And so um, I want to give you guys three things that I've discovered in this process of doubting and journeying and processing with God that have really helped shape, I think, my faith in that process to handle those things that are challenging. Um, And the first thing would be just to lean in and see what happens. And what do I mean by that? It's lean into what you think is true. Like, what are the areas where you're like, yeah, that's interesting. That's intriguing. Um, For some people, it's social justice. They're like, you know what? Like, I love what Jesus does when he talks about loving the poor and loving the outcast. Start with that. There may be other things that you'll develop in as you read scripture and you go, yeah, okay, so Jesus wasn't just only social justice. There was more to it. And you wrestle with that and begin to take these steps. And you take these little moments where you begin to lean in and learn a little bit more and a little bit more. And these significant things begin to happen in that process. Um, And then the second one, um, faith isn't always connected to my feelings. And this is a hard one because I don't want to fully discredit feelings and emotion. But at the same time, how many of you have woke up just angry some days and you're like, I don't know why but I'm angry at the world. (laughs) Okay, some of us are being honest in the room. Um, How many of you just like eaten like a really bad burrito and felt really sick to your stomach and then you're angry at everybody around you? Okay, so me and Eric. Um, Feelings, emotion can sometimes rob us of really what is good and true. Am I right? Um, Feelings can be good and, and there's room for that, but it has to be in check. And I think if we just run our lives based on feelings and emotions, um, we can get 
we can get hijacked pretty quickly. Um, we can be tired. We can be stressed. We have all kinds of stuff going in our lives, right? And if that dictates whether or not we believe there's a God or not, um, it's going to be limiting. It's going to limit us real quick. Um, because there are times where I don't want to love people. There are times where I'm angry at the world. But does that mean that God exists or doesn't exist? No. Like, that's just, that's on me. Like, I need to own that part of who I am, right? I need to own my part of it that maybe I just need to eat another burrito. <laughs> maybe I need some protein. Maybe I need to go take a nap. Maybe I need to take a Sabbath. Maybe I need to go apologize to somebody. Maybe I need to begin to create rhythms in my life that bring peace so that I can be loving, right? Um, that's the kind of stuff that I believe Jesus wants to, again, it's that tug of war of like, begin to engage in it. Begin to see, like, maybe it's, maybe it's not on, on God to like prove himself to me because I'm angry at the choices I've made, right? Um, we have to own a bit of that. And so that's where the feelings, like feelings can be very fickle. I'll just end it with that. Um, and then the third part of it is our faith was designed to be lived out in community. And so what do I mean by that is as I have developed in my faith, that's been a result of people in my life that I've had conversations with that have been either very insightful, where they've brought to me either scripture or other texts that I've never read and been like, wow, that really confirms what I see here and, and starts to cross-reference what's going on. And then I see other people who have lived out um, their faith with Christ for a really long time. And they go, you know what, this part of my life, I wrestled with that and this was really difficult and here's how I handled it. And, and then I begin to learn from them because of those conversations. And so I would say being in community, like just coming in, being in this room together um, and talking about scripture, it moves us forward towards understanding. It moves us towards that tug of war of like going, yeah, I need to wrestle with this. How are you doing this? And then you have a conversation with somebody. Um, and that's why we have the Lectio groups where you get together during the week and just chat about what you're reading in scripture. Chat about what's difficult in your life at that moment. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's just some kind of doubt that you have about scripture, who Jesus is. As you engage in relationship, that begins to like pull apart really where you can discover truth and begin to really lean into belief. And then the unbelief begins to shift towards belief and understanding and knowledge, right? So um, community is a key part of that. I believe we have to do that. As difficult as it is, um, we need people around us that are journeying in that conversation as well um, to begin to learn from. So doubt gets a bad rap, and I think Peter helps us see that a bit. Um, Jesus helps us see that a bit, that there is space for that, that Jesus does not just push us out and be like, well, it's either all or nothing. You believe everything that I've just taught you or you're out of here. It's not like that. It's a process. It's engaging in a conversation and growing and continually becoming more and more like Christ. Um, I got a couple more illustrations I want to share. First one is a conversation, uh, again, I'm going back to Dallas Willard again, um, in an article that I read where he answers this question. He says, um, I can acknowledge that. I know I have read the Gospels and I think that Jesus was the greatest teacher there ever was. In fact, I'd like to live my life like him, but it feels like I have to buy an awful lot more. 
right? So I want to follow Jesus, but there's a lot of other stuff, a lot of other baggage that I'm not fully convinced of. And here's how Dallas Willard uh, answers it. He says, what I would say is this. You don't have to buy anything you don't want. We have to help people understand that belief is something that comes along as you experience. You don't have to fake anything. The way faith works is this. You put into practice what you believe. So you start with the small things that you do believe. Like if you're like, I think we should love people. I think we should be generous. I think we should be kind. Start with that. And he says, if you're attracted to Jesus, what do you believe about him that you can act on? Experience shows again and again that when you allow people to act on the little that they do believe, the rest will follow. And that's kind of like an elegant way of saying baby steps <laughs> in our faith. That like, start with the thing that you believe is true about who Jesus is. Because if you're like, I believe that 100%. Like, if you think he's a great teacher, then start with that. Like, I'm not going to argue that. He is a great teacher. He's brilliant. When you begin to sit down and really look at how he articulates things and how we should interact as a society, brilliant. Start with that. And then begin to engage with that and begin to see how that begins to unfold as you begin to lean in a little bit more and have that tug of war, that interaction with who God is. Um, I want to share a story uh, that I think illustrates a little bit of what it looks like to have this faith um, and in like a non-faith kind of way. So uh, I grew up uh, in a family of fishermen and people that love being on boats and getting out on the water. And um, my dad always had like a little sailboat, nothing crazy or big, but little sailboats that we would trailer and go sail out in the ocean or on lakes. And um, even a boat that he built and then I helped him kind of build in that process. And, um, and kind of come from a family of woodworkers as well. And so we always built stuff and kind of did things with our hands. And, um, and over the years, uh, really kind of fell in love with sailing and that whole part of it. And uh, a friend of mine, when I was doing youth ministry, one of the parents said, hey, I have this sailboat, and I want to give it to you. And I'm like, oh, seriously? You want to give me a sailboat? And um, so don't get this twisted. It was like a pile of junk. <laughs> um, it, it worked, um, but I had to do a lot of work to get it going. It was mainly he just didn't want the slip fee anymore. And he was like, you can have the slip, and you can have the sailboat. So naturally, as a young dude that's just eager to get out on the water. I'm like, yeah, yes, I'm in. Sign me up. Took the sailboat and started doing a lot of painting and engine work and all kinds of stuff and got it seaworthy. And um, got to this point where I was like, I want to leave the harbor. And it was down in San Diego, the very south end of San Diego, which takes a long time to even sail out of the harbor. And so I'd done a few sails in the harbor where it's safe. There's no waves. There's no crazy storms that can come in. Well, they could, but you can quickly get back to the slip if you needed to. And um, so my next goal was to do a bigger trip where you like leave the harbor, right? The safety of the harbor and go to the next harbor, which would be Mission Bay. And I was like, oh, this sounds like a cool adventure. Like I should do that, but I'm scared. I don't know if I could do it. Because if something goes wrong, you end up on the cliffs, you know? Like if something like an engine breaks or whatever, like it's going to end bad. And, and I had my doubts. And so I, in that process, I was like, there's no way that I could make it. I'll take somebody with me that like we can just kind of crash the boat together if we do this. And so um, we took off and naturally the boat broke down like two miles into the trip. And I was scared to death. Like it was in the middle of the night 
And I was like, there's no way that we're going to be able to fix this thing. But we got down there, started working on it, and got it going again, and made it around. This is like a really short trip, if you know San Diego to Mission Bay. Very short trip. Um, but made it to the safety of the mooring buoy in Mission Bay. And like, hallelujah, you know, like we made it to the mooring buoy, we're safe, now we just got to make it back, you know? So it was like this big adventure, but I had my doubts that I could even do it. And after we got there, I was like, that actually wasn't that bad. Why did I work it up to be this big thing in my mind that was like impossible, that was crazy, there's no way we could possibly pull that off. And, and I, I share that only because I think that there's like, that's like a, a mild illustration of like how our faith works sometimes. We're like, there's no way that that exists. There's no way that God could do this. There's no way that Jesus can be God, flesh and blood, whatever. Like we have all these different things. And then as we begin to journey and begin to dig into scripture and have conversations with people and begin to do our research when it comes back to history and science and all kinds of stuff, we begin to go, you know what? There actually, it actually is very much something I can trust and very much something I can stake my life on. And... There will be hangups along the way, but we will get through. We will make it to the next harbor. We will arrive. And, and I would just encourage you that there may be steps along the way that may be hiccups, challenges. Maybe right now you're just like, I don't know if I buy the whole thing. What do you buy? What do you believe in? What is the thing that you are tugging on and going, yes, I am into that. Um, lean into that. That's just my encouragement. Just lean into that part of Jesus that you see that you're like, yeah, that, that I resonate with. But then continue to wrestle with the rest of it as well. Don't throw it all out and just be like, yeah, I like this part of Jesus and the rest of it can just take a hike. I'm going to continue to wrestle with those things that I'm not sure about when it comes to scripture or whatever it is um, and wrestle with it and begin to see what is God doing with it. And like Dallas would have said, I think you'll start to see some things. I want to read a quote from um, Anne Lamont. Uh, as a, a writer, yeah, there you go, a writer right now that um, I think articulates this point beautifully. So check this out, and then we'll close out. The opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness, and discomfort, and letting it be there until some light returns. Let me read that last little part. Faith includes noticing the mess, noticing that you may not have all the answers to Scripture, to who Jesus is, to how this whole thing works, the emptiness, the discomfort, the confusion, whatever it is. And she says, and wait until some light returns. Because I guarantee you that God is not absent, that God is not just like, yeah, here it is, take it or leave it. He's engaging. God is engaging in your relationship with him. And beginning to like reveal those things slowly. It doesn't all happen overnight. And so my encouragement would just be to have that faith to be in the process. Right? Have that faith to say, I'm going to tug a war with God. I'm going to wrestle with these things. I'm going to ask him questions. And I'm going to do that in community, like I mentioned, those three things. I'm not going to trust my feelings all the time because I'll, I'll probably have angry days. Right? Grumpy days. Wake up hangry. There will be moments where I need to be in relationship and conversation with some other people that are wrestling with this as well. Um, and, and that's my prayer. And that's my hope that as you begin to engage in those things, you'll begin to see that there's, there's light and light will begin to shine in the midst of those. I'm going to read Hebrews and then we're going to pray. Therefore, since we have, or since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles because there are things that will entangle us and distract us and keep us from really the life that we have in Jesus, the true life, the life to the full. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Again, another beautiful analogy of running a race, a journey. You don't just start a race and end a race. You go through a journey of running that race. Is beautiful. And he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Perfecter meaning process, again. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. My hope is that you don't lose, we- lose heart, get weary, get sidetracked, because Satan wants to rob you of joy, of life, of really like really what this whole Christianity, Jesus, following Jesus thing is all about. And I hope that you don't get derailed by a side thing that does not matter. I hope that you begin to see how fruitful and life-giving and transformative this whole process is as we grow closer to Jesus because it's changed my life. Peter preaches this sermon because it changed his life. We have these passages and page after page because it transformed people's lives for the good, for beauty, and for the ways that we interact. And it's, it's so good. And so I just, that'd be my encouragement. And I hope this gives you some handles on even how to have conversations with people that maybe want nothing to do with the church or nothing to do with Jesus because they've been turned off by people that have just said, no, it's this or not, you know, like it's this way or the highway. Um, That's just not what Jesus does. He's all about process. So let me pray, and then uh, we'll read our benediction. Lord, thank you so much that you journey with us, that you promise to walk with us, that you're not forcing anything on us, that you're um, you're not just a God who wags his finger and demands things, but desires relationship, desires this beautiful relationship that transforms life from the inside out. Help us to engage in that process each and every day. Help us to um, begin to see areas that we are challenged in or that we find difficult and begin to just sit with those things and begin to um, ask good questions, begin to be in relationship with other people that may be wrestling with it as well and begin to see how it transforms us. And so we love you, Jesus, and uh, so grateful for your Holy Spirit and how you move and speak to us in miraculous ways. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So we read this blessing uh, just as a reminder of what God's doing as we go into the rest of this week. So rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us. and He's guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day.